Hey, this is Kevin O'Connor on today's episode of The Mismatch with me and Chris Vernon. We got into Thursday night's great games, the Lakers beating the Bucks, and our main takeaways from that. Then we got into the nightcapper, the Knicks beating the Warriors, and Zion and the Pelicans' struggles continuing against the Jazz, who seems like everybody could be sleeping on as one of the best teams in the NBA. All that coming up next. It's The Mismatch, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states or 18 plus in D.C. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Offer valid for new and eligible returning subscribers only. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Welcome to The Mismatch. I'm Chris Vernon. Joining me as he does every Friday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, Kevin O'Concert, Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin O'Kindness, Kevin O'Climber, Kevin O'Conflict. Kevin! What's going on, Berno? How you doing? Well, we have had a pretty busy week uh, this week with some, actually some very interesting things that have taken place. Um, I think last night was billed as a possible finals preview between the Lakers and the Bucks. Um the Lakers are able to come out on top in that game, and they have been rather unstoppable uh, on the road this year. <laughs> um, you know, they, they still haven't lost a game on the road. I've been a little perplexed as to why so many of these teams don't have outstanding home records, yet they do have very good road records. You know, a, a lot of these teams because no we've got so many no fans, huh? no fans. Yeah I, know, yeah, I know, but why would they be better on the road? No, no fans. I don't know. A lot of reasons. It seems like home court advantage is kind of you know not the as only one right that's now. like holding serve on the whole. We're awesome at home and not as good on the road is Philly. So it must be the rims or something there, <laughs> right? Like there must be something about their arena that makes them comfortable. Let, let, because let's, let's let's be real though, it's not about home or away for the Lakers. They're good everywhere. They just so happen to have won all their away games so far. But this is a dominant force this Lakers team is, and they showed it again last night with the win over the Milwaukee Bucks. 
they wait the way in which that they could beat you in so many different ways on the offensive end of the floor with 80 inside on the post taking advantage of countless mismatches he had drew holiday on him at, at a couple times pat Connaughton on him lebron james running pick and roll to get Bryn forbes involved picking apart defenses finding an open three-point shooter they beat you from the perimeter they beat you from the interior they have guys who can hit shots and make plays off the dribble the lakers are a complete deep team whereas the bucks on the other side they have so many holes. The fact that you have Pat Connaughton, Pat Connaughton, with all due respect, defending Anthony Davis on some possessions does not work. The fact Drew Holiday at times could be your best option on LeBron James speaks to the lack of wing defenders, reliable wing defenders on the Milwaukee Bucks. And that's going to be an even bigger problem for them in a postseason setting. And by the way, Giannis Antetokounmpo last night, some of the turnovers he had, some of the missed free throws he had, missed outside jumpers, all those issues we've seen over the years pop up again and again during the regular season. And not only that, he won Defensive Player of the Year last season, understandably so. His defense has not been of that caliber this season. And there were a couple times the Lakers got him involved in on-ball actions where he just kind of died on a screen. And, you know, it just seems like he's not quite as locked in as he has been in the past. And he was also allowed to play free safety a lot on that team last year. Right. You had you had you had this, uh, you know, say what you want about him offensively. But Bledsoe is an outstanding defender to put at the top of the key. Um, He had guys on the wings that could for the most part, stay in front of their man. And then you had Brooke Lopez standing in front of the rim. This enabled Giannis to just be this free safety that could go around, help everybody. He was constantly, you know, uh, tracking guys down from behind. He was the weak side help on so many blocks uh, and rebounds. And that's not there. He doesn't, this this version of the Bucks does not give him the ability to be this free reign, just guard everybody defender because he was kind of everybody's help. And he could, you know, he could, if, if Brooke Lopez was stuck on one side, he could come to the other side and pin it against the rim. If somebody came off a screen and beat their man, they could run into Giannis in the middle of the court. And because of the, and, and it's not like they downgraded greatly with Drew Holiday being up there, but it is just this, As a collective, they have not been the defensive team. And, of course, some of that is on Giannis, but I I find myself watching them and thinking he doesn't get to do all the stuff that he did last year and just kind of be, I defend five guys guy. There's too many holes. And this was the, the, the downside with the Drew Holiday trade. With the Drew Holiday trade, you get a better player than Eric Bledsoe. I wrote about him this week on The Ringer. Like, Drew Holiday, he makes me feel better when the ball is in his hands. If I'm a Bucks fan and I have Drew Holiday spotting up for three and he's open, I feel better about him catching the ball and shooting it than I do Eric Bledsoe. It's an upgrade. However, losing George Hill and Eric Bledsoe, now you're relying on 
Pat Connaughton more. You're relying on DJ Augustine. You're relying on Bryn Forbes. These guys are not plus defensive players. You're relying more on Dante DiVincenzo, who is not a lockdown guy by any means. The Bucks just have a lot of guys on that roster that have been downgrades, not to mention losing Wes Matthews, not to mention downgrading on the defensive end from Robert Lopez to Bobby Portis, who is not the same caliber defender. He looks small when he was defending at 80, 80 in the post at times. And, you know, this, this Bucks team, they're still a contender and maybe they get better over the course of the season, but I still look at them compared to the Lakers last night. The Lakers, to me, are a complete team. They have everything. The Bucks have a lot of holes. It's not about it. To well, and part of it is as simple as look the 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 two best players on the Lakers. There's not a massive drop off. Like they are peers in terms of greatness. Yeah. I do two, think two there top is a, six, top seven guys, depending on where you rank. And, AD. and you can like Middleton, you can like Holiday. They're not in that class, right? They're not in that no. class. Yeah. And you, so you have to do it as a as a collective. Um, I don't want to overreact greatly to one game that's the 13th game of the season, but I do think it was instructive (laughs) in watching it and saying these are like this isn't a great matchup, right? Like the you you look at it and you go, the Bucks don't appear to have the goods. If I'm the GM of the Bucks, who is my best friend John Horse, I look at that game and say, (laughs) I can't go in with this exact roster into a into a Lakers series, right? The goal is to win a title. And so, but I, if I go in with this, I'm not going to be able to beat that team. Okay. So let's say that that's the way you feel. You're talking with your buddy, John Horst. You guys are, you know, having a zoom call like you do every Thursday night, right? Thursday night is when you guys get together. That's right. Um, if you're John Horst, we didn't last you, night because they had a game. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> one, one of the rare nights off, but of course, the Bucks being on national right. TV more, you know, you, you guys get a fun time to talk because ultimately, this Bucks team, what are you going to do? Like, what's the move there? You trade, I trade you Middleton. Tra- you would trade Middleton. Yes. Yes. For what? For a better fit. I mean, I, I, I think here. he has, I think he has value. I, around I the league. So you try to find somebody that really needs a two guard, somebody that really needs perimeter offense, right? Well, you need perimeter offense if you're the <laughs> if you're the Bucks well, need perimeter offense too. Well, they look they don't have they don't have a huge problem scoring. Yeah, I know, but but in the playoffs they they do need more perimeter offense in the playoffs, which is part of the incentive in getting Drew Holiday. He can help right. boost you there. I, and we need Drew Holiday to like when the game's on the line be a guy. You know what I mean? Like when it's five minutes left in the game. <laughs> Who are you going to trade Chris Middleton to, for? To be able to go back and forth. I'm curious. I'm curious. Who are you going to trade Chris Middleton for? I'm just very curious. I, I I can't imagine, you know, there's something that makes a lot of sense for them. He's like a top 25 guy. I do not think that Chris Middleton, if I walk into, where do, where is Chris Middleton in, I mean, a Heat series? You know what I'm saying? I, I don't know. I don't know. But like for the Bucks, to me, I look at Chris Middleton and I think they can get more out of him. I, I look at Chris Middleton. I do not I'm think like, that Chris Middleton uh, is good enough to be the second best player on a title team. Well, he, here, I mean, here's the way I look at it. We've talked about this for years. They, they got to use Giannis more as a screener. They just have to look at him more like AD, more like Shaq. You know, people have written about this in recent weeks. I believe Charks wrote about it today on the ringer. Um, like they got to use him more as a screener. And that me- that means using Drew Holiday and using Chris Middleton more 
as a pick-and-roll shot creator. They don't run a ton of pick-and-roll with Giannis as a screener. They got to do more of it because that's to me, is the way you neutralize the fact that Giannis isn't a shooter. The fact Giannis can't hit his free throws, that you, Giannis sometimes just drives into bodies of defenders packing the paint when he has the ball on the perimeter. If you have Giannis as a screener, that changes the formula for what the defense needs to do with how they need to worry about you. And Middleton was one of the league's most efficient pick-and-roll scorers last season. Drew Holiday is very good. They can lean into that more. The fact Chris Middleton this season is averaging the same amount of shots as he did last season shows to me that Mike Budenholzer, it didn't really change too much here. Yeah, as others have wrote, written about, they put a guy in the dunker spot, which changes the way they, their offense works with the spacing and all that, gives the dump-off option, but the results don't really change too much. They also need to change some usage here with players, not just with the positioning on the court. And Chris Middleton, to me, is the easy answer there, more so than than making a big move with trading him. But to your point, when you when I ask, like, what would you do? Yeah, uh, I mean, because uh, well, you well, want well, me to come wait, up well, with a specific well, player well, to well, trade him for, what, but well, it's well, for a better but, fit. But that's what I'm saying. Like, what, when I ask, like, what do you do? Well, what uh, if you don't say Chris Middleton, what other answer is there? You're not going to get anything for Bobby Portis. Right. You, you know what I mean? Well, so <laughs> to me, it's for a better fit and for a better utilization of that money. You have a lot of money allocated to a guy that I do not think takes you over the hump. I just don't know who that player is that you'd trade him for. Like He's kind of like one of those guys who's probably more valuable to you than he is to other teams. I could be wrong, but... You don't think there's a market for him? Yeah, I just don't know if there's a market that makes the Bucks a better team. Whereas I think Budenholzer can make Middleton more valuable to the Bucks by changing his usage. That that's the way I look at. It. Like I don't. I I feel like you can look at the numbers with him, and I can pull them up um, from last season. Middleton, my, my my thing is this, Kev. You you need a perimeter guy, and we saw this the other night, even when they got into that Brooklyn game. Right, he took that ridiculous contested three, and then he missed that one that he was double teamed in the corner. You and and obviously you need Holiday to be a bigger part of this. But when you get into playoff games and you get into games where you are playing against a competition, your peers, the guy we want Giannis to be the, you know, they use Joel Embiid like this, they use Jokic like this, where those are the guys that get the ball for those teams down the stretch. That is not Giannis, and this is on him in terms of he's got to be able to knock down free throws. You know, it's very hard to give the guy a ball with the game on the line when you know the team can intentionally put him on the line where he shoots a dismal percentage, right? So I look at that and I say, okay, then I need a guy on the perimeter because these are typically the guys that close games that can create his own shot, a guy that I can give the ball to with the game on the line, and he's going to go get me home. And I don't think Middleton fits that role. Do I think that you could necessarily attain somebody in a trade that is that guy? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it, it stands to reason. There's always the names out there of the guys that – are they're either in bad situations right now, or it's a poor fit, or somebody you know people don't like them for whatever reason uh, at this point. 
you know, yeah, yeah, I'll give you an example. Like we were on a group text uh, a week ago talking about Zach Levine, right? Yep. Now, again, that's not, I'm just throwing out a name. I, I'm not saying that that would be a, a wise deal on either side, but there are always guys out there. And so to me, I do need a guy that I can just throw the ball to and he's going to be able to go get me a bucket because Giannis isn't that guy right now because he's going to get fouled. It may never be. May not be. And that's what I mean. Like, If you're looking at him as your Shaq, you're looking at him as your AD rather than as your LeBron, it changes the way in which you utilize him as a player. And I think with Chris Middleton, the stats kind of speak for itself. Last season, he, he was in the 83rd percentile, so better than 83, 83% of the NBA at scoring in the pick and roll. This season, in the 86th percentile, and it's been like that for years with him. The problem is, is he only finishes eight possessions, 8.7 possessions per game using the pick and roll, according to Synergy Sports. That's about equal to Patty Mills, to R.J. Barrett, to Tyrese Maxey, to Tomas Sadoransky. Just to put it into comparison here, like a D'Angelo Russell runs 20 pick and rolls per game. A, a Goran Dragic runs it 14 times per game. You know, I'd like to see his usage up a little bit to that like 13 to 15 range. I got nearly double the amount of pick and rolls Chris Middleton runs per game. I feel like the Bucks, some answers lie within here with some tweaks that Mike Budenholz or the head coach can make. And this is the core of the, the frustration that Bucks fans have with Budenholzer, that Hawks fans had with Budenholzer, is the lack of flexibility with the system. And I know we made some system changes. Like I said, the dunker spot. There's more that can be done that's, that's simple. And I'd like to see that first change happen with Chris Middleton. Get him more shots. Get him into more pick and rolls. More pick and rolls specifically with Giannis Antetokounmpo, one of the most scary rim-running explosive guys in the league as your screener. Like in the league history, let's put him in some more pick and rolls per game with a guy who's been really, really good at running them. And Chris Middleton, like, could they find maybe an upgrade as as you're suggesting? Perhaps. And maybe you find out Chris Middleton gives you diminishing returns. I just need a better one-on-one player. A guy that I don't have to run pick and roll to get, you know, a a guy that's getting to the basket or he's getting to his spot on the court and getting his shot. I mean, Chris Middleton's been pretty good in ISOs the last handful of years, too. And uh, Like, he's not a top 10 guy. I mean, I'm not sure you're going to get that guy. But I, I I think this roster can be better on the offensive end. I think it can be better on the defensive end. I think... It, some of the answers lie within here. So like you said, we're not going to overreact to game 13. You know, it's just January right now. But I would like to see some of these tweaks over the course of the season, building towards the playoffs with everything in mind, considering what they're going to have to go through if they face a Philly or they face an LA or whoever it might be or a Miami again. There's answers within for the Bucks. Yeah. Um I mean, you always say that. You you say no, that about no, that. I, I mean, I mean when you I say that, that, you said no, that Chris, like, when we Chris, talked when about when we, when we talked about Ingram and Zion. You say there's answers inside. Let, there's let, always. Let me finish. When I asked that question, I was expecting you to talk about buyout guys, not trading Chris Middleton. Because oh yeah, the, to me the hole on the the holes on the roster are wing depth, guard depth, not Chris Middleton, not Giannis, not Drew Holiday. To me, the top end is. Oh no! I, I look at it and I say I can't. I can't go up against a team that's bringing Anthony Davis and LeBron to the party when I'm bringing Giannis and Chris Middleton. We we just look at it differently. That's <laughs> you all. Know what I mean, yeah, that's, I we can't. Just, 
We just view the roster differently. But I when better, I asked that, when I asked that question, that's what yeah. I was expecting, not yeah. a Chris Middleton. I, no, yeah, I look at it and say my second best player needs to be better than Chris Middleton. You know what I mean? If I'm going to win, yeah, maybe. if I'm going to be able to go up against a team like that, I mean, sometimes it just comes down to talent. You know what I mean? It comes down to talent and who's got the most talent. And I look at that Lakers team and I say, you better be able to go to war with them. You know what I mean? You better bring something to the table. Uh, another guy that I can believe is going to go big for me, like four out of seven games. I just, I, I don't know. And, and, and the team, obviously it's not nearly as devastating as they were last year. They, they, they had, they were historically great last year, um, to say the least. All right. Uh, other games that went on last night, we moved on from that. And we had this Warriors game. The Warriors game, let, uh, yeah, Draymond Green getting thrown out of the game for the NBA has already, I guess, apologized <laughs> yeah, for this. Pretty ridiculous. We chronicled on Tuesday how he is a coach on the floor. There's a moment where he is demonstrative yelling at James Wiseman. A very young official takes this as he is yelling at him, I guess. I don't yeah. know. I mean, at some point, there has to be able to be an explanation that a, a, a referee will hear as to not throw Draymond Green out of the game there, right? Like, to me, if if a guy, you know, throws a guy out, you can't just in my opinion, just stand by that and say it is what it is. If the guy says, and everybody says, he wasn't yelling at you. He was yelling at James Wiseman. At that point, I think you have to reverse the call. Yeah. I do. I do. Because I mean, we got to see what the Warriors look like without Draymond Green, and it's not pretty. Yeah, it's, it's gross. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Draymond effect is significant on the defensive end of the floor and offense, too. He helps connect that team in the complex system um, from Steve Kerr, although he has run more pick and roll in recent weeks, which is good. Um, but ultimately, like I just come away more impressed by the Knicks in terms of the effort levels on the defensive end of the floor, the flashes from RJ Barrett, RJ, he's, you know, he's not shot the ball well, you know, for most of the season. And there's still concerns about his perimeter game, but we saw what he could be last night with his ability to create off the dribble for you hit outside jumpers. He made some really, really slick passes, had one where he tacked the lane and kicked it out to, I believe the right corner, um, you know, the defensive intensity from that entire team when they're locked in Tibbs influence is pretty clear watching the Knicks right now. It's fun I to got, watch. You know, we, uh, I go to bed much earlier than my West coast brethren. And so there are many times where I will wake up, to text messages. And so I woke up this morning and I had a text message from our old buddy, Jason Concepcion. And it simply said, Tibbs is the coach of the year. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> and I was so happy for him. I was so happy for him because he's a, uh, you know, he is a beaten down Knicks fan yeah. and Knicks fans are having an absolute blast so far with this team because they have exceeded every expectation. Uh, eight and eight. You know, Anybody, anybody, anybody could go back to the to the podcast when they when they hired him. There were some that were critical of that hiring. I loved the Tibbs hiring. Um, I thought it was brilliant. And you know, one of the things that people talked about was you know what he does with young players. And 
my point was always he had the youngest NBA rookie of the year in the history of the league in Derrick Rose. Joakim Noah was in the top three in MVP voting um, as a young player in the NBA. And so it is unsurprising to me that this is exactly what RJ needed that he was not given his rookie year. He was thrown into an absolute S-storm his rookie year. I mean, management changing over and uh, Fisdale, you know, having to go to the podium. And then like early in the season, management putting out a press release apologizing for how crappy they are. And, And then like guys trying to save their jobs. And then you had all this mess. And you end up with a couple different coaches, a couple different front office people. And, and now it feels like there's some stability and there is a coach that will hold you accountable um, and also make get the best out of you. And I think that um, I defended RJ last year. You know, I said Zion went to a good spot for him. Ja went to a good spot for him. RJ went to a terrible spot. And so I still held on to all my RJ stock. And he looks like the player more often now that is the one worthy of the third pick that is not some booby prize, right? Like, <laughs> I, I mean, everybody everybody thought there was three guys and a drop-off to four. Everybody knew in some order it was going to go Zion, John, RJ. And you just were entitled to your own opinion about how you'd rank those three. Booby fries. I mean, that's how it felt, right? Like, oh my God, the Grizzlies end up getting, you know, the the, the Pelicans get Zion and the Grizzlies get Morant and look at what the Knicks end up with. Friggin' R.J. Barrett. But, and I don't know if R.J.'s going to be, you know, the level of those two, but he's, he's, he's showing at least why we thought this guy was an outstanding prospect. And something that he was not able to show much last year. No doubt. And, you know, in the uh, Grizzlies video I did for The Void that you clearly enjoyed. I'm happy from your tweet. Maybe happy that you liked it. (laughs) I only made that for you, Chris. I will say Um, this. You might have had, for those that have not watched it, that is, and I say this because I love you, the absolute worst Bane impression in the history of Bane impressions. I mean, that was, I couldn't even believe what I was, I rewound it I, I and was a, watching it. I did you a didn't even of try. <laughs> I don't know. It's I, like, I can't, I what can't, did you say? Like, I was born in the dark or something, yeah. right? <laughs> Can you give me a Bane impression? You just have to lower your voice, right? Like, uh, like oh, I'll try. Uh, oh, you think darkness <laughs> is your ally? You like that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I do this for you. <laughs> Hold on. Hold on. I'm trying to do it. The people. <laughs> the people. You just got to lo- like, you got to lower your voice and you got to like have you seen you seen I, I the movie? Yeah, for for like 10 years ago. I, I, it's been a long time. I love that movie. I don't remember. I, the, do. I think I only saw it in theaters and not since then. Maybe I, I just watch felt it like you gave a very poor effort. I, I got to get the voice in my head. I think that take was before I pulled up the clip on YouTube. That's what you need to say. Darkness is your ally. Or what does he say at the beginning of the the movie? 
I'm, to I'm, crash I'm, this plane. I'm, I'm, I don't remember. With no survivors. <laughs> I'm not good at remember. I'm, I'm not good at remembering movie lines. Very bad really? at it. It's one of my oh, weaknesses. Okay. Greatest weaknesses. All right. Remembering movie lines. But but anyway, I did love uh, the video. But, but, but yes. well, like spe- the video, you know, one of the points of the video was, you know, John Morant is this, you know, transcendent prospect for the Grizzlies. You know, a franchise player. But he's also fallen into a great situation with a lot of, you know, sure. great supporting players around him. And that's what the video is about was the other guys in the Grizzlies. For the Knicks, RJ Barrett did not fall into one of those situations. Last season, the Knicks were, you know, kind of a dumpster fire. No spacing on the team. And not a great situation with, you know, changing coach and all that. You know, RJ this year, things feel like for the Knicks as a whole, there's more organizational alignment with the roster. New front office here, and that's going to create a better developmental situation for all these young guys. RJ, Kevin, Kevin Knox, and you know Mitchell Robinson, and the Knicks. It's kind of crazy how quickly they can start to feel like a competent team. You know what I mean? Like that, this team feels like it's. I'm interested in the Knox thing because you know, anytime that a new regime takes over, a new front office, a new coach. They are not nearly as tied to the past draft picks. Um, They don't have to prove that they were right. In many cases, they stood on the table in order for a guy to get drafted, or they have a fervent belief in this guy, Um, or they got the most out of this guy. Like I I was watching, what was it I was reading last week? Uh, Oh, the G League draft. You know who got drafted in the G League draft? The guy that Fisdale was starting for the Knicks, uh, Alonzo Trier, right? And that was a former front office, right? They're probably sitting there saying, hey, let's see what we have in Trier, right? And so you wonder about the guys. You know, some will obviously like R.J. Barrett, like Mitchell Robinson. Um, they uh, And they're going to be able to get invested in because of their level of talent. You wonder about the more developmental guys and how much stock will be put in their development because the truth is they drafted quickly and they drafted uh, Obi Toppin. So those two, they, they're going to want those to end up good for sure. And they're going to and they're going to be most invested in their development. And so, what happens with the Knoxes? What happens with the Nilakinas? What happens with the other guys? You know that were the former regime's draft picks that still need to come into their own. Their development is certainly going to be on the back burner to the ones that this new regime is invested in the most, right? Yeah, uh, I would think so. And that that might not bode well for some of the past regime selections on Knox and Nilakina and so on and so forth. But ultimately, you know, if you're a Knicks fan, if you're Jason Concepcion tweeting you middle of the night, Tibbs for coach of the year, it doesn't matter to you. It's really about the fact that there's progress happening. And if you're a Knicks fan, you got to be feeling good about that. And some of the wins they've had this year have just been really impressive. I, I come away looking at them as a team that I definitely underrated entering the season. And everybody Julius, did. Everybody did. And, you know, Julius Randle's progress. Granted, he still turns the ball over way too much, but you know he's been a little bit better defensively, making you know better passes overall, racking up more assists. It's it's nice to see these players making progress and, you know, RJ, especially RJ is still the guy in that roster that like if he if he can get that perimeter jumper to click with consistency, as we saw last night, 
and not shoot below 30% as he is on the full season, that changes the course of who they can be and how soon they can get there. So RJ's development is still the number one thing to watch. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Offer valid for new and eligible returning subscribers only. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Man, we got to start using Apple Cash. All right. Why? It's so easy and convenient. Apple Cash lives in messages. Okay. So I can pay you in convos we're already having. Not forget a payment or have the money sitting somewhere just collecting dust. Hmm. That's actually kind of nice. And then you can use that cash right away and buy stuff at like a store with Apple Pay. Oh, so I don't have to do all the bank transfer stuff. Nope. It's just right there. It's easy, convenient, and secure. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? See how easy that was? Services are provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. So the RJ, if we're doing this as stocks, the RJ stock is going up, 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 up. His college teammate, who was drafted number one, Mm. Zion Williamson, you and I were part of a conversation this week about this. The Pels are in a bad way and got beat up by Utah last night. uh, Another game that got you know, it, it, so many of their games are in front of a national TV audience. So people yeah. get to see this. Oh, six on national TV, I think, so far this season. Brutal. Mm. I mean, absolutely brutal. And, you know, I, it, it's, I did not think that, I, I think, how do I say this? You and I at the beginning of this season thought that Zion is going to be a superstar this year. Make and a that's leap. just not happening. It's just not happening right now. For them and for him. And I sensed uh, in the conversation that we were having that you have a little concern as to, you know, what this what this means going forward. What we're seeing right now versus what we saw last year versus what we saw from him at Duke. The player that we saw at Duke who looked like, you know, the next sure thing LeBron level this guy is going to be yeah, has got well, a chance to be with, hold no, our horses with LeBron. You know that that's people a little bit thought much. that Zion could much. be one of the greatest players of all time. Yes, I they mean, did. I, I mean, one of the we best can do revisionist history. They I did, mean, but I'm going to say not a LeBron level. I mean, that's that's LeBron level Maybe. was a, a different tier. I'm saying one of the best winning, players in the game and possibly one of the greats. Absolutely, that was a conversation, but not like you know goat. People were more excited to win that lottery than any lottery in the last oh, yeah. decade. We, we saw the member Alvin Gentry's reaction. Yes. Inside the lottery. I was in that lottery. Because we Crazy. thought that this is a, a transcendent yes. player that Absolutely. only comes in the yes. league 
Transcendent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great word. Um, But like with Zion, the offensive end of the floor is still highly impressive. You know, his ability to score near the rim is Giannis level. Really fantastic. He's an unselfish passer, and I think he's a better playmaker than what shows in the stats. He averages only 1.8 assists per game. To me, he's a better passer than the stats indicate. Defensively. Oh, boy. What's going on there, Chris? He does not put in effort. He does not look as explosive. He does not look focused. He doesn't box out. I I mean, just like up and down the line of everything you don't want from a defensive player, he has it. And that is very, very concerning considering what we saw from him in the past. When he was in high school and he was at Duke, This was a guy who, yes, sometimes he would be a bit slow to rotate or he'd miss a rotation, just like every other young player. But one thing you could always count on from Zion was effort. He would always put in effort. He'd always play hard and set a tone for his defense. Nowadays, it's the utter opposite. And I watch that and I think multiple things. Either he's not the same level athlete that he was prior to the injuries And maybe that's affecting him. It could be conditioning. It could be weight. It could be that he needs to lose weight because he is still heavy. And he uses that to his advantage in some ways on offense, you know, when he's just bullying guys and, you know, just rolling through them. But on defense, maybe it hurts him. But it could also be the fact that, like, they don't want him to put in this amount of effort because of the injury concern. And they want him to stay healthy long term. So they don't want him to pick up wear and tear. And that's just, you know, me putting me putting my tinfoil hat here. But I think it's reasonable considering this guy's body type at six foot six, 284 pounds and the injuries that he had that he's had. Isn't it at least reasonable that perhaps they don't want him going full throttle over the course of the full season? Because that's the part that's weird to me. The 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 athleticism from injuries, I get it, all that. But the fact that the effort is from like 100 to zero, the closeouts he has that are so lazy. I mean, like, it's just kind of sickening to watch at times. It really is. If we're being honest here, it's sickening and it needs to be better for this team to be anything, anything close to what we believe it can be this season or in the future. All right. Let me join you in the tinfoil hat. Okay. I'll just put, I'll put mine on and I'll say, yeah. and we'll join together and I'll say, okay, well, uh, I'll, I'll say you're not crazy. Cause why the hell else would you get Steven Adams? Like why? Unless you're trying to ease the load, right? Like, all right, he's yeah. responsible for uh, Zion. You're you're not the guy that protects the rim all the time. That's yes. getting too early fouls, right? I got Stephen Adams so that he could be that guy, and you could be the guy next to him, right? And so, because uh, it's not a natural fit. We all admit that it's not great to have Stephen Adams, who oh, the only no offensive, the uh, like he he's a outstanding screen setter. That's what he is. But and, and, he, and a great rebounder, hard-nosed defender. absolutely yeah. no threat anywhere outside of four feet from the basket. We don't care. You could stand out there. If Steven Adams wants to stand 12 feet away from the basket, so be it. Nobody's going out there with him. You know what I mean? And that's the and he's also not a guy that's like gonna be catching a bunch of lobs or anything like that. So I mean, he if if I'm putting on the tip of head, I say, okay, they they did that to lighten the defensive load on Zion because otherwise it makes no sense. 
why would you want him taking up that space down low when you well, know 100%. that's what Zion does? 100%. It almost sort of relates to what we were talking about with the Bucks. You know, you have Brooke Lopez, the big guy down low. You can allow Giannis to roam. Yes. It alleviates any need to put Giannis at the five over the course of a full, long, tough, regular season. Same concept here. The difference is Steve Abs can't shoot threes like Brooke Lopez can, and so the offensive spacing is not the same for Zion to drive and get into the paint. He still produces at, an, at a high level. Even but with Steven Adams, Adams creates court. no space. And, and you know... <laughs> I mean, for uh, you. I mean, ultimately, like, you know, I... I'm writing a story about the Pelicans for Monday and, uh, you know, I, it's not fully reported or anything like that, but you know, some of the conversations I've had, it's very, very apparent that part of the reason for getting Steven Adams is exactly what you're saying to alleviate any defensive demand on Zion Williamson. It's to change the culture and bring in somebody there who plays the way he does. Steven Adams, that is. And Zion, if that's going to be the case, if you're going to have a rim protector there, He's got to be more active off ball. He needs to be locked in. His, his closeouts need to be better. So the technique is just very poor. And there's an instance earlier this week in a game where it was like four or five plays in a row where a guy just burned him, burned him on, on closeouts. And that can't happen. Like That's putting undue pressure on Steven Adams on the rest of that defense to have to rotate. And, you know, there's some ideas about, well, why don't play Zion at the five more? Oh, please. You expect this guy to anchor your defense? No way. It's not going to work. It's just not going to work. And if you're switching everything, I think it's unreasonable to expect that to work over again over the course of the long regular season. To me, Zion at the five is something that you go to in certain moments where it makes sense, certain spurts in a game for seven, eight minutes here and there. But that can't be your base defense or your base lineup, right? And that's why you get Steven Adams. That's why you even have Jackson Hayes developing off your bench. That's why they've made the decisions that they've made. Ultimately, it comes down to Zion getting better as a defensive player and getting back to the level he was before. Without that, he right now, it's fair to say, and it's sad to say, right now, Zion Williamson on the defensive end of the floor is a liability. If he's not an, uh, He would get voted by fans, but he is not an all-star right now. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, and I, I think, I'd have to go through it all, but I'm probably right. I think we thought on a bad team. I mean, you know, if you're if you're picking between the two, uh, Ingram's got great numbers too, right? And I, and I, and we already did an episode on this. I don't like that fit either. Hey, why don't we move Ingram for Middleton? That's perfect. <laughs> I like that fit better for both. <laughs> no, thank There's you. A, there, there, now, now the Bucks would get their guy that can uh, I could throw the ball to, and he could just. Uh, go get me a bucket, and uh, and the Pelicans would get a, a a good two guard that could actually stretch the floor and knock down some shots. Um, there, I just made the trade. There, <laughs> call it up. I don't think who who would say no to that. The Pelicans would say no. Pelicans would say no. Yeah, I don't know. Depends how many games they lose now. They can't win a game. They'd, they'd say no. <laughs> At some point, they're going to try to alter some stuff. Hey, here's the thing. You know, the Pelicans. They are not a good team right now. And they're losing a lot of games, as you said. If you're them, this could be for the best. You don't want to be too good too soon, do you? One of the mistakes that you know the, the early 2000s Cavs made with LeBron, and you could even even argue the Bucks with Giannis, is some of these teams got too good 
too soon where they didn't get that second high lottery pick to get a chance at drafting another guy to pair with their young stars. And I wonder if with the Pelicans, maybe this will be for the best. If they have a down season, a disappointing season for multiple reasons, it could try to get Zion and Ingram straight on the defensive end of the floor. Like you guys got to be better for us to be a playoff team. And also you get a higher pick. Maybe it's seventh. Maybe it's not a top four pick, but if you do get a high pick, that gets you another guy in a really good draft to bring in with these young guys here that fit your timeline. Cause this team clearly is not ready yet. And you know, I, I've thrown around the idea of like, well, what if they trade for Bradley Beal? What if they bring Beal in? I, I don't think they have the culture there and they don't have the defensive identity to really be ready yet. To me, even if you were to theoretically bring in Bradley Beal with Zion and Ingram, the defense isn't there. It's just not. And it might not be for three, four years at this point. The other thing, Kev, is I, much like his representation, thought probably wise to not take a deal this time around, um, play it out, and see what you can get next season if you're Lonzo. And he just has not. He has not taken the next step. They needed that to work. You know what I mean? Especially when you've attained Bledsoe in the, you know, they moved off of Drew Holiday. They needed that to work. They needed Lonzo to be, because I I don't know what the hell happened here, Kev. Now, it might have been just an anomaly the way he was shooting the ball last year, but Lonzo was good and had gotten good, you know, and looked like the guy that we, you know, was starting to look like the guy that we thought he was going to be when he was so highly touted coming out of the draft. And then he went to the bubble, and he was abysmal, like 20%. Yeah. And like 20% from three. And it was like, okay, maybe he's just a guy that like the bubble affected him in a bad way. They, But he was the just. The anti-Jamal Murray. Whatever. <laughs> he couldn't make a shot to save his life. And so, which is true? Is he more like the guy that you know was having the season that he was having, which was very, very promising, or more like the guy in the bubble? He looks like a continuation of the bubble more so this year. Um, and I know he's, he's had the nagging injury, but I mean, well, he was like, he was shooting high 30s, 40s last 30, year, right? 38% from three last year before the bubble. That's a different guy. And that's a different offense. And, uh, under 30% since then. It's a different offense. If he can hit 38% of his threes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, th- this season, Lonzo Ball is scoring in the 14th percentile in the half court. 39 of 112 in the half court, 35% from the floor, a 43% effective field goal percentage in the half court. He is not a good spot up shooter right now. He is not a guy who can run pick and roll for you because he's not a good shooter. Defenses don't respect his shot off the dribble. And that, you know, neuters all of his strengths as an open floor playmaker. And if he doesn't have the shot, it minimizes everything he can be. And not only that, I still look at Lonzo and I look at his defense in LA compared to where it is now in new Orleans. He was better defensively with the Lakers. Ingram was still better defensively with the Lakers before that trade happened. The mix here on the defensive end of the floor, even though they've been better this year, for sure. Overall, the the Pelicans have been better on defense to me that a lot of that's due to Steven Adams and some of the newer additions, even in Eric Bledsoe more so than 
the guys they had last season. And until that changes, I, I have a hard time looking at this team in the loaded Western Conference when you have so many teams that are hungry and foaming at the mouth, trying to get stops, trying to get the playoffs. And then you have this team with the effort they put in. It's just not at the level it needs to be. Let's talk about that flip side. Uh, well, yeah, and I think you could bring in veterans, like you were saying, with Steven Adams. But, like, who's the guy? Who's the leader on that team, right, that is willing to get into a huddle or to coach guys out on the floor? Like, it's not that, – that has not established itself. Um, as like a team captain, as it were. Um, and most good teams, they've got that guy that they look to like the team they played, which has clearly become Donovan Mitchell's team. He has gone absolutely ballistic over the last week. And that team looks a lot more like the team we thought we were getting last year. Um when they made those additions, they added Mike Conley, they added Bogdanovich, and they went through the injuries, and we didn't see the full version of them when it came into the bubble. Um, sneaky good move by adding Derek Favors, who was very good uh, for the Pelicans last year. All the advanced analytics loved Favors on that Pelicans team, and it will pay dividends for the Jazz also. Um, even Jordan Clarkson, you know, has games. Uh, you know, coming off the bench as a heater. Um, that Jazz team is one of the very few in the whole league that is five games above 500. It's it's them, the two LA teams, and Philly. That's it. Mm. And sleeping on Utah. No, no, that's who I'm talking about. I know, but like people are sleeping on Utah, oh, including yeah, right. me. <laughs> they're they're not viewed in the same prism. Yes, as the two LA teams and 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 even Philly for that matter, right? Because um, that's Donovan's team. And he now for this last like week and a half has been one of the best players in the entire NBA. And that team, I think I, we both loved them going into last season and it didn't, it didn't ever take completely. Yeah. And a lot of that was due to Mike Conley last season. He could, he could never get it right with Rudy Gobert. Hey, and you had the whole, reason. like, Ingles moving to the bench yeah, and they're yeah, trying course. to figure out whether to play Royce White in the starting lineup or not. Of course. A lot, lot of reasons. It's not just yeah. Mike Conley, but yeah, yeah, the yeah. fact is is that when they got Mike Conley, yeah. I believe you and I talked about this at the time, it's like, whoa, this is, you know, the type of secondary creator next to Donovan right. Mitchell that could change what they are and elevate them to a higher level. Well, Mike Conley's back to being Mike Conley. He looks comfortable with his scoring ability in pick and roll. He looks like he has great chemistry with Rudy Gobert. The way those guys are playing together now is like so far beyond the level we saw last season. It's really fun to watch him through, with a rim runner. Like that was the reason why he was so used to playing with a Marco Sol with a Zebo. Not a he never threw throwing, a lob in his life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you know, he, he's throwing lobs now. It's a big difference, and you know, it, these guys are clicking. And now you have Mitchell who. Everything you just said is 100% true. I mean, this is a guy who was hoisted into this role early in his career and has gotten continuously better. He's shown the flashes of stardom. He's had some moments, you know, where it's shot selection's not great or maybe, the, you know, he's not a great, he's an only an above average good shooter, not a great shooter. But when he's on, when he's on, he is still one of the guys that you can rely on in an end game situation to get you a bucket or create a shot for your team. Also gets to the rim. Gets to the rim, draws fouls. I mean, he he just is a, is a do-it-all player. And this Utah Jazz team, we've talked, let's bring it back to the Lakers earlier. 
different level of talent with LeBron and AD. But the, the Lakers feel like a complete deep team. The Jazz feel like a complete deep team, don't they? I mean, bo- uh, the bench is really strong. They can play big or they can play smaller. They can play any style they want. And, you know, with Rudy Gobert, I, I know Shaq criticizes Gobert. He criticized Mitchell last night, which was a silly thing to say after the game. Um, How bizarre was that? That was very awkward. Very weird. You know, very, I saw um, I saw uh, Kirk serious face. He, he he writes for one of the uh, for the Mavericks websites. Um, he tweeted this morning. Could you imagine Chris Collinsworth or Troy Aikman like doing a postgame interview with Deshaun Watson and being like, you know, I, I said, I want you to hear it from me. I don't really I don't I don't think you have it what it takes Ridiculous. to get to the next level. I mean, it would just be. So bizarre. Like somehow we've come to accept this. Like, yeah, but it's, it's just strange. It's odd. It's you know? strange to have like, I'm trying to, I love you. I'm trying to motivate you by telling you I don't believe in you. I, I just, I don't know. Uh, I, I saw, you know, a tweet come across <laughs> my timeline last night that pointed out how Shaq, you know, this season has told Christian Wood that he wasn't familiar with his game. Uh, he, he mixed up the country for Jokic, you know, and really insulting him. He, he last night obviously hated on Mitchell. He's r- torn down Rudy Gobert. And, you know, I understand like there's certain people that say, well, what's Shaq doing that's any different than Skip Bayless in the morning? So, or, or like even like we might do on a podcast here. How is it any different? You know, how is it any different than Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless going at it over a player? I don't know if, I don't know if it's any different except for the fact that like it's a, it's a post game show with a league part broadcast partner. And it's just interesting just the way that the NFL with CBS and Fox and ESPN and NBC are with players and in interviews and with their broadcasters compared to how partners are with the NBA with Turner, especially with, you know, the way Shaq was lately. And, you know, from a league perspective, that's the way I look at it from like the NBA league office perspective. I can't imagine that I'd be happy about, Shaquille O'Neal, one of the greatest players of all time, constantly tearing down modern stars, the way the modern game is played. To me, that does nothing but hurt the way the game is perceived and hurts the overall popularity and enjoyment Let me say of the this. game. It's- I love that show. I love Ernie. Yes. I love Charles. I love Kenny. I love Shaq. I love that it's a part. it been a part of my life for a long, long time. I don't want their show to become one that all of these players resent. Yes. Because we started to see, all right, you got a lot of good players. I mean, they, they put that headset on Durant earlier this year. He wouldn't even, like, talk to Charles and gave the worst interview ever. You have this way awkward moment last night. Like, I liked when the players love putting on the headset and talking back to them, and it felt, like, fraternal. I don't yeah. want that to be adversarial, right? To where it's like, oh, these guys say, and I get it, like, that some guys can be too sensitive about what those guys say, especially if it's just yeah. joking, right? If it's just goofing around. But I, I don't know, like pumping up, like if we're going to do the not serious thing, then let's do the not serious thing and let's all be buddies in the grand scheme of things, right? But when it becomes adversarial and these players come off so damn uncomfortable, you know, on camera... <laughs> Uh, to me, that's not great. I, I don't. I don't want those guys to not want to put on that headset. It, it feels like that has happened more often, right? Where 
I don't know. They feel like they need to, they need, they feel like they, uh, uh, they need to say their criticisms right to these guys' faces. And in winning situations, like the, right, the, the guy that wears the headset just won the game. He didn't lose the game. <laughs> so it, it seems pretty hard to make that guy irritated, a guy that just won a basketball game. And yet we've already seen it a couple of times this year where guys get irritated with them. Yeah. And I love them both. I love the players and I love Charles and them. So I, I hate to see it be like that, you know, just mm. awkward as hell. That know, was awkward. It, it, it's too bad. You know, it's uh, I, I I thought Chris Herring um, from ESPN at 538 last week, you know, he had like a string of tweets, you know, really ripping Shaq for mixing up Jokic's country, you know, saying he's from Russia and just as, as it being a sign of disrespect. And, um, you know, uh, I, I uh, yeah, I mean, it happens. It happens. But everybody makes things up. I mispronounce names all the time. Um, I mix mispronounce words <laughs> all the time. It happens, but ultimately, like it's just a it, it's, it has become more toxic, and that's a show that I look to for more of that camaraderie that you're referring to. Not the advert the I don't know. It, it shouldn't be a place where Donovan Mitchell puts on the headset and hears you're you're a great player to watch, but I don't believe you can take a team to the next level or whatever. It's like what I just I just won what? the game. I mean, that was really his reaction. I love I love I love the and that was awesome. From Mitchell. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. I mean? And he's been awesome the past week. It's he, he was. I awesome. mean, uh, I mean, how great? How great would it be if the question you know to Mitchell was like you know related to his game? Like, what are the things that you're doing to elevate your play? You know, like just basic. You know, getting into analysis, like a Tim Legler Legler style question. Tim Legler, by the way, on ESPN, who kills it every time he's on TV. I'd love to see more Tim Legler. Um, <laughs> uh, like, I'd love to see something like that. A little bit more analysis based. A former player at all timer talking basketball with Mitchell, one of the league's rising stars, educating fans on how this player performs on the court, what they're doing to get better. To me, that's much better TV and much more informative and would lead fans to liking the game more than just ripping a player who just had an awesome night. Uh, Let's get to the trade that took place last night. Got an interesting story on this, uh, Kevin. Kevin Porter Jr., there was a story that came out last week that he he has been out. He got into some trouble in the offseason. He's been out for personal reasons. He showed back up to the Cleveland Cavaliers locker room, and his locker was gone. His locker was given to Taureen Prince. He was moved to the corner where the young players and the rookies are, and he threw a fit over this. He was very, very mad about this and started throwing stuff and that had a had an angry outburst um to the point where people had to calm him down jb bickerstaff heard the commotion went into the locker room and couldn't believe what was going on and so then it after that story comes out he was like throwing crap and whatever else the story comes out that kobe altman and them uh, they tried to trade him all weekend couldn't really find a trade partner thought about maybe just having to cut him you know to not have him be a part of this and they come up with a trade last night. Now, they traded him for literally nothing. It's like a top 55 protected second-round pick. So it's honestly nothing um, that they traded it. That is just a getaway trade. Houston takes him in and is going to try to make something of it. Kevin Porter Jr., I brought him up, uh, I guess it was a year and a half ago, And I said, Kevin, I've gone through all of these draft prospects. 
I've watched all their YouTubes. This kid from USC, he he does things that the other guys ahead of him just don't do. He is clearly more talented than many of his peers. Now, he went into USC. He had a couple big games, and then he got suspended for the season. So he couldn't even make it through his season at USC. It came draft time, and I still had in my head, I've seen all these YouTube videos. This guy's unbelievable. And you know, I call around to all manner of people, college coaches, people that cover these teams, uh, NBA executives, you name it. And I thought about putting him in a list of guys that were like the underrated guys or guys that I thought would have careers. Not one person in the league that I called endorsed it. They, every one of them said, do not do it. Don't do it. Don't. And I'm like, why? And they're like, just don't. Okay. <laughs> don't do this. It because it, it's the same reason because everybody agreed with me that, that there is that talent. But whether it's uh, you know personal issues that he has to get over, um his his actions off the court from the time he was a prep into he is immensely talented, and that's how. He was able to get drafted in the first round no matter what. But to me, it is incredibly sad. Now, I know this kid grew up in a, in a very bad environment from what I gather. Um, so he could be a great story of a guy that, you know, overcame very difficult circumstances. But instead, he has let anger issues and other issues get in the way of his talent. And they will put him with John Lucas in Houston and try to you know, salvage a career, but I've got, this is it. This is it. When you get, when you get traded for nothing, you know what I mean? When he has not been able to act right. He didn't act right. His one year in college. He didn't act right. You know, as a, after his rookie year in Cleveland and you hope that kids like that mature. Um, but it was, it's just sad to me that that prophecy was correct. I wanted it to be that. Yeah. There were a bunch of red flags, that teams were scared of, but that the kids, he's going to be, he's going to prove people wrong. He's going to turn out different. But instead, there's a lot of executives around the league saying, see, I told you so. Yeah. And he had, you know, last October, that Instagram post that, you know, was, you know, you ever wish to see the end of your time and Cavs fans and NBA fans, you know, reached out like saying, is everything okay? And, you know, cause it's kind of a, you know, suicidal statement. And he, you know, said it's nothing, you know, the media is the worst, turning this into a story, whatever. Appreciate people reaching out though. And ultimately for him, you know, I hope mental health is okay right now. I hope Houston has the infrastructure there and the support system to help him on the mental side of the game. And as, as a person to get, you know, on the court and to improve in those ways so he can have a successful career because there's no doubt about the basketball talent. No doubt about it. It's about everything else. And hopefully Houston can help him along there as a person more than anything else. I, yeah, I hope he's know, one of those kids because they grow up, man. I mean, I I got to know and I was so impressed with last year, Josh Jackson who ended up getting a contract in Detroit uh, for this year. But I talked to Josh about everything he had been through during his time in Phoenix. And it was just mistake after mistake. And next thing he knows, he's playing in Mississippi in the G League. 
I mean, he was the number, what, three pick in the draft? Four pick in the draft? I mean, number he was four. top five. Top number five four, pick yep. in the NBA draft. Next thing you know, you're, you know, a couple of years later, you're playing in Mississippi in the G League. You know, I mean, you can't, he, he got humbled big time. Um, and hopefully this is the humbling for Kevin Porter, right? When you get drafted in the first round and then a year later, you're, you're traded for nothing. Not even a player. They can't says, get anything. Says everything. It says everything, right? Yeah. Like, you better get it on track or it's it's over after this. Yeah. You're not going to get another chance. Like, this is your chance. And, and so take you advantage of it. another chance, it's after you, you, do, you do your tour and, and playing in China, playing overseas, playing in yep. the G League. It's, it's the Christian Wood route. Like, yep. If this doesn't work out here, you're playing everywhere else where you're not in the NBA before you get another opportunity. And, and you just become a cautionary tale. Yeah, exactly. And ultimately, you know, that might be the path. I hope not. I hope things work out for him in Houston. Like I said, the main thing to me is I hope he has the infrastructure and support in Houston from coaches and from executives and teammates as well for that to be a healthy situation for for him. And I'll tell you what, you know, to be totally honest with you, though, Chris, like that's a team with a bunch of guys who you know, haven't always been the best of teammates in past situations and DeMarcus Cousins and John Wall. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it might not be the best structure to be, it might not be the best structure, but I hope that there's at least one person, one coach, one executive, one teammate. Sometimes that all, it's all it can take is one person to be there for you and to help lead you and set an example for you. I hope that person or multiple people are there for him to, to, to really get through, you know, this, this time, you know? Well, and, here, and here's a sneaky part about this, Kev. So a lot of times guys can act any kind of way and teams just put up with it. But how about the Cavs being so good that they could just discard? You know what I mean? Like, we don't need it, man. Shocking. We don't need it. We don't that, need it. Usually you try to power through and you make it work. But the Cavs look at it and they say, we don't need it. Mm. We, we we like we got look how much fun we're having. Look at what our locker rooms like. Like you see that team going crazy the other night in that Brooklyn game. Oh yeah, that, that was is fun. a. <laughs> that, but I mean, you see the chemistry, and you see that those guys legit like each other. Yeah, right. Like those are the fun teams in the league to watch. You know, we had that with that young Brooklyn team a few years ago. I was about when to they were, say that yeah, dancing the on the. Yeah. That's what it feels like watching yep. the Cavs when yeah. you watch the Cavs. Like they're all kind of rooting for each other. It feels like they all like each other. Um, Kevin loves even like you know dancing on the sidelines when Sexton's going off against the Brooklyn Nets. That was great. Um, oh my god, I mean you know you know I am the president of the Colin Sexton fan club. So also, how cool is it to see friend of the mismatch JB Bickerstaff? Love it, helping lead that squad. It's pretty cool to watch. I love it. Yeah, it's great. It. It's a fun team. Well, and he is. JB is one of my favorite people I've ever come across in basketball, and he walks it like he talks it. Like, he is what he preaches, right, and what he cares about. And I do think that, especially for young players, that that can be extremely impactful. We talk about, we talk about um, you know, the lack of African-American coaches in the NBA, and, and even with that young African-American coaches within the NBA and JB fits both of those criteria, right? Like JB is hip to, it's not like he's an old guy. He's hip to what these players are hip to, but they also look to him. He's only 41 years old, young guy. 
They look to him and they see his wife, Nikki, and he, they see his kids and they see the way he conducts himself and they see his father who was a lifer in the NBA and he'll just show up at practice and he'll be around. And they, he is truly a real role model for young people. He really is. And I think that that, you know, X's and O's is one thing, but I do think that you can see the profound effect that that can have on a team, a team with young players on that. And you see them, I tell you this, they look pretty damn good with Jared Allen in the mix. Like he, he ditched Drummond down the stretch of that game. He ditched him. Um, and Jared Allen could knock down some 15-footers. And clearly, it was it was a Jared Allen revenge game because he had just gotten traded from the net. But, boy, I like the Jared Allen with Colin Sexton and Garland and, like, the... Oh, yeah. They got something to build on there, yeah, for and sure. That, and that night, they didn't even have Garland, which was just crazy. Right. You know, Gar- yes. Garland's been had some had some really good nights, but Colin Sexton, ultimately, 42 points that night on 29 shots. Some of the jumpers he hit towards the end of that game, just ludicrous, ludicrous. And, and that guy, Colin Sexton, him in Alabama, do you remember the game where he played like five on four and then five three. on three for something? Yeah. yeah, five on. It eventually became five on three. <laughs> and like that sort of reminded me of like I kept getting flashbacks that night where it's yes. like, oh my goodness, this guy is trying to will his team to victory playing five on three. Yes. And granted, there's five guys on the court during but that game. But he doesn't game. care. It didn't matter. <laughs> He's built. He is built for it. He's awesome, He is built man. for it. I he love it. so fun. Oh, I, I watched him in high school when he was a McDonald's All-American and, and went back. I remember when, when he committed to Alabama. I mean, he was the slap the floor. Yes. You know, scream at the other guys. I mean, I just, everything about him I loved. I lo- I've been in love with him since he was a senior in high school. The kid is just awesome. And you're seeing, he is like Pat Bev if Pat Bev was an awesome offensive player. He really is. He, he gets he, under he, your like skin. Yeah. He gets under your, he's like a super Pat Bev. Um, And his, and people didn't notice because that team stunk last year. The last month of the season, he scored at a level, a superstar level. Like he was averaging like 30 a game, shooting 50 something percent from the field. He was out of control great. Um, one of the most efficient months ever for a, a player of, at his age. But people didn't notice because, you know, they lost every single night, uh, the Cavs. And then the season got cut off in March. But leading into when the season got cut off, he was out of control great. And now it's, you know, there's been that continuation this year. After. I, I, don't, I don't remember the stat off the top of my head, but I know Dan Devine from the ringer had a in the preseason, but I think it was like in 2020, like since January 1st through the end of the season for the Cavs, he averaged like 26. So it wasn't even just the last month, but it was like prior to that, he was just tearing the league apart. And, you know, I remember putting that in my preseason power rankings thinking, oh yeah, you know, if Sexton, they get that version of him, they could be pretty competitive. They're getting that version and more. Oh, yeah. Aren't they? I mean, and you look at this Cavs team, it's not just Colin Sexton going off. Larry Nance, we've talked about him a bunch this whole past year. We've joked about him, how much I love him as a player. You love Larry Nance. His versatile defense, his shooting ability, leading the league in steals. He's a do-it-all guy who can fit into that lineup any way he needs to. Andre Drummond's having a really good season for them. Got to give him credit there in a contract year. Isaac Okoro, as a rookie, already a really steady yep. defender on that end oh, of the yeah. floor. 
Hopefully shots fall for him with more consistency as time goes on. But up and down that roster, a lot of good talent. They have been a lot of good talent. They have now, of course. Everybody knows how much I I I, I think of and care about uh, JB Bickerstaff, and I have an undying love for Colin Sexton. So I would have gone out of my way to pay more attention to them anyway. But they have certainly become one of the sneaky, really fun league pass teams. They play in competitive games. And the games are good. And they've got fun players to watch. And like I said, their bench is fun. You know what I mean? They've got, like, they're one of those really likable teams. And you usually get to watch a good game. With the, they compete every every night. They don't lay down, you know. Um, so, Cavs. Shout out to the Cavs. Yeah, shout out to the it's, Cavs, It's been pretty man. fun. Last thing, I wanna, something. It's nice. last thing I want to ask you about be, before we get out of here is we talked about how there's only, you know, four of those teams that have really good records so far, the two LA teams uh and Utah. The only and one Philly. in the East is Philly. And kind of thought that Doc Rivers could have a profound impact on Joel Embiid that has played out so far. Um you hear Embiid MVP, you know, like it's starting to percolate a little bit. Um, we're only 15 games into the season, but we got to remember 15 games is like a fourth of this season, <laughs> you know? So yeah, they played, Get, getting there. they played maybe, uh, you know, close to a fourth of the season and he's right there as one of the top few players in the entire league with a team that has a great, great record so far. And that's despite not having Seth Curry. They've gotten the best version of Tobias Harris, which is a credit to Doc Rivers. And Simmons hasn't had a good year. Not yet. But Embiid has been another level than we've seen before. Yeah. And that has been very promising. Sure. You know? and, and Joel Embiid, to me right now, if I'm ranking my MVP candidates, it's him and Jokic one and two in some order. You know, I'd dive in deeper if I cared more about ranking MVPs right now. But those two guys to me are up top, which is crazy to say that the league's two, two of the three best bigs in the league. And You'd have LeBron Jokic. in there too. Well, I mean, LeBron would be in the top five still. But best you know, player, best team. Jokic's sure. team isn't very good. Of course. You that know, would be fascinating. Of, because if, if we're ranking in terms of just strict production, like when it comes down to it, MVP is also about wins and placing the standings and all that too. But just strictly in terms of individual production, I'm saying this early on, like in terms of who I'm monitoring for MVP, the rankings right now don't really matter too much. But Embiid, the only question will be, can he keep this up over the course of the full season? Can he maintain this elite level of play where he is just wrecking teams in the post? Over the course of the full year, hitting his threes, he's hitting 37% of his threes so far this season, remaining an anchor of their defensive unit. If he can do that all over the course of the season, he's going to get a lot of MVP votes. And part of that is because like KD is on a team with Harden and Kyrie. That'll hurt him. LeBron is on a team with AD. That'll hurt the amount of votes he gets. So Embiid is the clear number one star with the Philadelphia 76ers. If you're you know placing MVP bets, that feels like a, a fair bet to place on him. But ultimately, my question with him and the reason why I'm not, you know, all the way on in all the way in on him being the favorite is because let's see him do this over the course of the full season. That's going to be the challenge here with conditioning over the full year. But ultimately, him, Jokic, KD, LeBron, Paul George, 
you know, those guys are all up there right now in that MVP race. There's a lot of options, isn't there? Yeah, but it's just nice to see Embiid move Luka, to Giannis. that to move to that class of guy. You know what I'm saying? Like because we've always known Embiid could be one of the best five players in the league. He has never played like one of the best five players in the league. This year he is. He's playing like one of the best. Oh yeah. He's you know been I mean? fantastic. You wouldn't get past five before you'd get to him. In He's terms been unbelievable. Of guys, this year. Kevin, have an unbelievable weekend. Uh, thank you to producer Sasha as always. I'll talk to you next Tuesday. Looking forward to it. Have a good weekend, everybody. Everybody.